Genesis chapter 42. We'll be looking at verses 25 through 38. Joseph, his brothers, have confessed their sin. And they are in what we would call a process of repenting. Repenting is a turning away, a change of direction. And we hear uh, Joseph's brothers say, Behold, our brother's blood is now required of us. Their sin has found them out. My dear old mother would say to us, her sons, my brothers and I, encouraging words like, be sure your sins will find you out. Thanks, Mom. (laughs) Joseph's brother's sins have caught up with them. And another thing my mother would say was, payday is not always on Friday. And what she meant by that, you don't always receive your compensation at a set time. We do not choose when our sins will be exposed. But there's something about sin that we should all know. You will either repent of your sin or you will give an account of your sins before God on Judgment Day. I choose to repent. (laughs) It's that simple. But Joseph and his brothers, their time of reckoning has come. For Joseph, I think it was good for him to overhear his brothers uh, and their regret and their sorrow that is coming forth from them as he is the Egyptian governor and they do not know who he is. And we have who I think is perhaps the most evil of Joseph's brothers, Simeon, and he is bound by Joseph's guards and he is placed in prison. So let's pick up chapter 42, verse 25, and I'm only going to read uh, through verse 28, and then we'll pick up the rest a little later. Genesis 42, 25. Then Joseph gave a command to fill their sacks with grain, to restore every man's money to his sack, and to give them provisions for their journey. Thus he did for them. So they loaded their donkeys with the grain and departed from there. But as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey feed at the encampment, he saw his money, and there it was in the mouth of the sack. So he said to his brothers, My money has been restored, and there it is in my sack. And then their hearts failed them. And they were afraid, saying to one another, What is this that God has done to us? Joseph, he's filled their sacks, his brother's sacks with grain, and he's also placed their money back in their sacks. On their trip home, one of the brothers discovers the money in his sack. And each of the brothers, they have the same reaction. They instantly are afraid, heart-stopping afraid, coronary afraid, okay? (laughs) And listen to their conclusion. What is this that God has done to us? The brothers, they realize the hand of God is controlling the whole saga of this famine 
their grain shortage, they see God is involved in all of it. Their encounter with Joseph, who is the Egyptian governor, only confirms their fears. In the Old Testament, many times when Israel as a nation would sin and be lifted up in pride or serving idols, God would send drought and famine in judgment upon Israel. And a couple of weeks back, we talked about how the world today is uh, experiencing drought in different uh, grain-producing countries. United States a couple years ago had a severe drought. Australia has had severe droughts. But in times gone by, Israel would repent and God would restore them. My desire is that America would repent and that we would have God restore us. But the opposite of repenting is to be lifted up in pride or to think that we will overcome our difficulties, overcome God's judgment in and of our own power. Joseph's brothers, they understand that they're in their position by the hand of God. Their confession of Joseph's blood being required of them bears witness of their guilt. These brothers don't not they don't know what to expect next. Things are really getting fearful for them. So let's read the rest of the chapter, chapter 42, starting at verse 29. Then they went to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, and he told him, and they told him all that had happened to them. The man who is Lord of the land spoke roughly to us and took us for spies in the country. But we said to him, we are honest men. We are not spies. We're 12 brothers, son of our father. One is no more, the youngest is with our father this day in the land of Cana. Then the man, the lord of the country, said to us, By this I will know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me, and take food for the famine of your households, and be gone. And bring your youngest brother to me, so I shall know that you are not spies, but that you are honest men, and I will grant your brother to you and you may trade in the land. Then it happened, as they emptied their sacks, that surprisingly each man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob their father said to them, You have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And you want to take Benjamin? All these things are against me. Then Reuben spoke to his father, saying, Kill my two sons, if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. But he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is left alone. If any calamity should befall him along the way in which you go, then you would bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave." The brothers, they have arrived back at home, and it took probably three weeks for them to travel from 
Egypt up to Canaan. And then they retell their story to Jacob, their father, how the governor of Egypt, and they don't know it's their brother yet, and they tell the story to their brother, and they begin to, or Jacob, and they begin to unpack from their journey, and again, fear overtakes them, for each man finds his money in the sack of his grain. Not only are the brothers afraid, Jacob is afraid with them. The brothers, they realize that they will be considered thieves when they return to Egypt to buy more grain. For the governor of Egypt, none other than Joseph, has already accused them of being spies. This is just starting to heap up on them. And now they must face this accusation of being a thief also. Jacob, he understands the situation, and Jacob, he's not ready to allow Benjamin, his youngest son, to go with these other brothers of his. Jacob, he blames the loss of Joseph and Simeon on the brothers. Jacob is probably more correct than he realizes in verse 9, as he points out, you have bereaved me of my sons. Makes you wonder, does Jacob suspect his other sons of foul play concerning Joseph? It sort of indicates that he might have. Then we hear Jacob, and he's complaining, for, for all who will listen, including God himself. And he says, all these things are against me. Listen to Jacob's complaint. Joseph is no more. Not true. Simeon is no more. Not true. And Benjamin is soon to be no more. Not true. None of Jacob's complaints have any validity in them. Jacob can only see the apparent bad circumstances. Jacob, he was a lot like we are when we only see things that we call bad. Just for the record, Joseph is governor of Egypt. Simeon is in Joseph's care although it be in prison, and Benjamin is right there before Jacob. So the reality of the situation is Jacob is simply having a breakdown of faith. He has totally lost sight of the fact that God is for him. Jacob is allowing circumstance to dictate, to govern his thinking. And what we really have in Jacob is a breakdown of faith. When Jacob went through his name change from Jacob to Israel, remember what Israel meant? To be governed by God. But now we have Jacob, and he's being ruled, and he's being governed by 
circumstance. And his understanding of the circumstance is not good. Not only is it not good, they're completely wrong. And when we find ourselves complaining and murmuring about our situation, we complain about the moment and how everything seems to be against us. We, too, are in danger of being like Jacob. We're in danger of suffering what I call a complete breakdown of faith. Jacob has complained. All things, and that includes God, all things, including God, are against me. In our relationship with our Lord and our God, we cannot please him without exercising faith. You can't do it. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, we read what faith really is. It's the substance or the confidence of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's faith, okay? In God's dealing with us, he constantly brings us to a place For us to exercise faith. Versus. Versus looking at the circumstance. I would urge each and every one of us. Choose to believe. Choose to trust in God and have faith. In Jacob's mind. All things are against him. In his understanding, in his mindset, he confesses not what we would call misjudgment or error in thinking, uh, not just thinking negatively, but it's a complete lie that he has succumbed to. When he declares all things are against me, there's no element of truth in that. Know this, properly placed faith never goes unrewarded by God. Properly placed faith never goes unrewarded by God. God is faithful. And God is a rewarder of those who trust in him and believe in him. And many times God will allow circumstances in our lives to look grim so that when his provision comes, we can give him glory and appreciate him as our Lord and our God. Scripture is full of good examples of this. In the book of Judges, Israel is under control of the Midianites who come down and they raid Israel every year at harvest time. They would steal Israel's food, their grain, even take their animals. Israel, as a nation, cries out to God. God sends a prophet to encourage them. Uh, And this is at a time when Israel is rebelling. And basically God says, do not fear the Amorites or the Midianites. Then God appears to Gideon. And Gideon, he's hiding in a wine press. 
and he's threshing grain while hiding. The Lord is with you, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. <laughs> and don't you know Gideon looks over his shoulder to see who the Lord is talking to. By this statement, we understand God has a sense of humor as he speaks to Gideon who is hiding. But Gideon's response is noteworthy. In Judges 6, verses 11 through 16, let me read those to you. Turn there if you'd like, Judges 6, 11 through 16. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which is in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Benazite, when his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, O oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? And so he said to him, O oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Verse 13, we hear Gideon say, My Lord, if you are with us, why has all of this happened to us? Gideon sounds a little bit like Jacob, doesn't he? Why is this happening to us? But Gideon reacts with faith. Verse 14, Go in this faith of yours, Gideon, and you shall save Israel. Have I not sent you? Gideon reacts by gathering a small army to fight against the Midianites. Makes sense to me. And God tells Gideon in chapter 7, verse 2, There's one problem with your army, Gideon. There's too many of you. <laughs> the people who are with you will think that by their own power they have been delivered or saved. Gideon sent all of those home that are afraid, and promptly 22,000 leave. And that only leaves 10,000 there with Gideon. But that's still incredible odds against you. But the Midianites, they number 125,000. So it's 125,000 against 10,000. But God isn't through, is he? You know the story. Now God will reduce Gideon down to 300 men simply by the way they drink water from a stream. The 300 men who join Gideon, they watch as they drink. And now God has a situation like he wants it. 
For now God will receive the glory when he delivers Israel through Gideon and his 300 men. And we get an insight into God in this story. And he will reduce your numbers and he will put odds in the favor of your enemy so he can show himself strong on our behalf. God knows mankind. He created us. And he, will, he knows that Israel will want to claim that they had defeated the Midianites by their own power. But when God uses Gideon and defeats the Midianites, 125,000 of them with 300, that's odds of 400 to 1, by the way. Think about that. 400 to 1. Everyone must give God the glory and the credit when Gideon defeats the Midianites. And when we read of God giving Gideon this great victory, it makes us realize that God is for us. Therefore, who can be against us? Jacob has declared from a lack of faith, Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more, and Benjamin is about to be no more. And he says, all these things are against me. It helps when you know the end of the story, though. So, But we want to say, Jacob, Jacob, what's wrong with you? God is for you. And we read of many victories of men of God and women of God who have placed their trust and faith in God. And our God, it seems like he loves to stack the odds against himself where he can show himself strong. He delights in showing himself strong on our behalf. Jacob, at the end of this chapter, he will lament, Would you bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave? And very shortly, Jacob will go down to Egypt and he'll be reunited with Joseph, his son. And then we'll hear Jacob declare, Now let me die, for I have seen my son Joseph's face, and he's still alive. All things were not against Jacob. Only circumstance. And all things are not against you or I, regardless of the circumstance. And yet sometimes we want to believe that way. No matter how dire the circumstances may appear, God is for us, wanting us to exercise faith. Ask Gideon, ask Jacob, ask any believer that God has rescued. Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father, we've all experienced lack of faith. We've all looked at the circumstances. We've all seen how dire our situation can be. But I want to thank you openly, God, for being for us. We are your children. 
and you love us. And you want to show yourself strong on our behalf, Lord. And you do this day in and day out. And we want to be a people who recognize the fact that you're for us and that you're working out a good thing in our life. And so we thank you and we praise you for being for us, Lord. We don't always understand the situations and the trials that we go through. But, Lord, let us understand that they're there for our good. You're teaching us patience. You're teaching us character growth. And you always have lessons that you're wanting us to learn. And, Lord, we thank you for never leaving us, for never letting us face our situations alone, but you're for us and you're there with us. May that come home to us, Lord. So we pray that we, as your people, would exercise faith in the living God. We pray and ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. If you're struggling.